I've never had golf lessons, and uh, if you played golf with me, uh, you would know that. Um, one of my students, when I used to work at Delta State University, one of my students was on the golf team, and, and uh, we went and played around with golf once, and I asked him if he could give me some pointers about my game. So we, we wrapped up, and I said, okay, Matt, what do you think? And he said, you need to go and buy this book by Ben Hogan called How to Play the Game of Golf. And I thought, you know, you can't give me anything, no help, no ideas, no pointers. Basically what he was saying was, your golf game needs an entire overhaul. You need to read this book and start from scratch. And that's when I should have taken golf lessons, but I didn't. Uh, one of the things that golf pros do in giving lessons, one of the first things they do is they film you uh, hitting the golf ball. Now, many of us, if you play golf, you have an idea in your head of what your golf swing looks like. Uh, maybe VJ Singh, maybe Fred Couples, maybe Jordan Spieth, when in reality your golf swing is a lot more like Charles Barkley's than, uh, than any of those guys. The video evidence is clear. You need that perspective to, to see and identify what's off, what's going on. And then, after you identify what's wrong, you begin a practice regimen. You get someone who can show you how to correct your swing and, and correct your stance and correct the slice when every time you hit the ball. And, and that helps you as you think about moving forward. You need perspective and you need practice. And in some ways, Psalm 115 is all about that. It's an honest expression of some of the realities of life in this world. It gives us perspective about life in this world. But it also describes and prescribes the practices, the next steps that we can take in being changed and transformed. And this is one of the basic realities of the Christian life is that we need our minds and our hearts and our wills and our actions shaped and instructed by God's promises and God's love. We need perspective from God and perspective from others so we can see what's really going on in our lives, in us, and we also need Practices, healthy practices, a game plan for correcting and improving what's wrong and what's broken in our lives. And I believe Psalm 115, this is what Psalm 115 is about. It gives us perspective and it gives us a practice plan so that we can grow and flourish and blossom and become the men and the women that God has meant for us to be. So first of all, let's look at the passage together. Perspective. In life, in general, we could all do with a little more self-awareness. We could all do with some much-needed, honest, real perspective. The first part of the perspective that we gain from Psalm 115 is this. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about God. Verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. It seems so simple and it's so easy to forget when life gets hard, when things get tough, when we are wounded or stressed or hurt or tired. It's so easy to think and believe that everything is about us, that the world revolves around us, our plans, our comfort, our agenda, 
And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into our lives, it invades our lives, and it turns that worldview, that mindset, upside down. Psalm 115 gives us this perspective, this statement. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. You remember that God's name represents who he is and what he's about. The Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And this prayer in verse 1 is that God would do this for the sake of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is, this is really the key for us to remember that it's not about us, it's about God. It's this, that our lives in this world is shaped around the reality that God is faithful and God has loved us. Remember the song, the old Christian hymn, To God be the glory, great things He has done, so loved He the world that He gave us His Son. This is why at the heart, the glory doesn't belong to us. Because what does the Bible say about us? What do we know? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's nothing we can do to gain God's acceptance. We can't keep the, work, the, the rules good enough. We can't uh, follow things up well enough. Salvation belongs to God and He gives it to us as an absolute free gift. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to Your name give the glory. What a beautiful place to start and a beautiful place to continue our entire lives. We have this privilege, we have this honor that in the good times and the bad times we can give glory to God. Think about it. Whatever you have, whatever you've accomplished, whatever you've achieved, whatever you've experienced, our growth, our victories, and think of the other end of the spectrum, persevering through hard and difficult times, walking through heartache and sadness and trials, the glory and the renown belongs to God. And that's hard to remember. It's hard to remember because we're pretty smart and talented people. We can accomplish some amazing things. This perspective is so important because it's easy for us to believe that our success and joy and happiness in life isn't rooted in God, it's rooted in how awesome we are. It's hard, too, also to give glory to God when things are so hard and difficult and painful. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you here with me? How can you let this happen? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Our lives need to be shaped by this truth. It's not about us, it's about God. Second thing we see, the the much-needed perspective that we see from Psalm 115 is seen in verses 2 and 3. We can have a humble confidence that God exists and that God is in control. We don't have the details of Psalm 115, the background of, of when it was written or how it was written, but there are plenty of opportunities in the Old Testament for God's people to question where God was and what was going on. And there are plenty of opportunities in our lives for us to wonder if God is real and if God is in control and if He's powerful. And there is this simple and beautiful statement 
from the psalmist. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It's almost as if he's talking to himself or he's talking to his friends and he says essentially, guys, chill out. God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. It may feel like the wheels are falling off. You may have people coming at you saying, you believe in God? Really? That God? That is so outdated and antiquated. The answer is simple and profound. Our God is in the heavens. And he does all that he pleases. This is the perspective that gives us a quiet strength and a humble confidence that God is real and God is in control. Many times Christians, maybe even you at another time in your life, we move toward people who question the existence of God with arrogance, with self-righteousness. And I believe the perspective from verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 115 helps us, it shows us a different way. We can move toward people with a humble, unapologetic confidence that God is real and that God is in control. Do you believe in Him? you think He's real? Absolutely. God is my strength and my shield. I wouldn't be here without Him. He's my maker and sustainer. And he's forgiven my sins and He gives me strength in life. you see the difference there? An unapologetic humility and confidence in God. He loves me so much. He loved me first. That's why I love Him in, in return. We don't need to get bent out of shape when we talk to people about God. We don't need to be ashamed. We can have a quiet confidence because we know from other places in the Bible that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That all people know deep down that there is a God So we don't need to be defensive or insecure about God's existence and power. We can have humble confidence that God is real and God is in control. This is another part of the perspective that Psalm 115 gives us. It's not about us, it's about God. We can have humble confidence that He's real and that He's working. The last part of the perspective that we get is about idols. Verses 4 through 8 talk about idols. You know those... 60 Minutes or Dateline uh, shows where they, they go into a business or an organization with a, a hidden camera. You know, a guy has a camera on his lapel or something. And they, they, they show the corruption and the unethical practices of some business. Exposed. Idolatry exposed. That's what Psalm 115 does. You get the real story behind the veneer. It's a simple and powerful reminder that idolatry is empty and hurtful. It promises big things. It looks great from the outside, but it doesn't produce. It doesn't fulfill things it promises to fulfill. And there are a couple things we can see. Look at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold. The things that they worship are made with human hands. Things that you dig up from the ground. That's what they used to make their idols. Silver and gold. There's this beautiful passage in Isaiah that talks about a man who takes, cuts down a tree and from part of it he carves an idol and he says, this is my God. And with the rest of the tree, you know what he does? He starts a fire to cook his dinner. 
Idols are made with earthly things. Idols are also made by human hands. We don't have the ability to create and sustain life. We're finite creatures. We may create an idol and call it a god, but it's powerless. And and the imagery is so powerful. Look at verses 4 through 8. Eyes that cannot see, mouths that can't speak, ears that can't hear, feet that can't walk, noses that can't smell. There is no power. There's no life. The point in worshiping, there's no point in worshiping and serving idols. And then verse 8, it shows us this much-needed perspective that idolatry dehumanizes us. Let that sink in. Idolatry dehumanizes us. Idols are made of earthly things. They're made by human hands. But this verse is so powerful, verse 8. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. What a powerful and descriptive analysis. It's the kind of perspective that we need. Idolatry is not simply unhealthy and hurtful. It changes us. It deforms us. It dehumanizes us. Let's put it this way. The more we worship idols, the more we become voiceless, blind, desensitized, powerless, just like the idols that we serve. Put it another way. The more you give to an idol, the more it requires from you. Think about some of our modern day idols in our lives. Money, power, pleasure, comfort, control, escape. The more you live for those things, the more they want from you, right? There's so many examples. Addictions, disordered eating, disordered living, unhealthy patterns in life. Idolatry dehumanizes us. Here's one from our national consciousness. Belief that you are better or superior to another person because of the color of your skin or the nation where you born, where you were born, is gross idolatry. It's sin. It's repulsive. It's demeaning. Attacking other people physically, mentally, verbally, that idol, what does it do? It dehumanizes you. We must never lose sight of this perspective. 115, Psalm 115 is idolatry exposed. And it's really good for us to see this in seeing idolatry in the world, but what's the most important part? It's so that we can see idols in ourselves. You guys know that idolatry is not simply something people did thousands of years ago. It's alive and well today. What are some of the diagnostic tools that we can use to help identify idolatry or the movement toward idolatry in our lives? Well, there's some questions we can ask ourselves. Are there things, are there actions or thoughts that you're willing to lie about, that you're willing to shade the truth about in your life? Those should be warning lights on the dashboard of your life. 
Are there things in your life that you feel that you're entitled to because no one else knows how difficult it is and no one understands? I deserve this, even though I know it's wrong. Are there areas in your life where you feel justified and entitled to bending the rules because your situation is so unique? These are the red lights on the dashboard of your life that say pull over immediately and get help. Are there things that you believe if taken away from you would make your life empty and worthless and hopeless? Those are all diagnostic questions that can help us get to the idols that may be part of our lives. That perspective is so important. But Psalm 115 also shows us practice that can help correct some of those issues and problems in our lives. Just watching a video of your golf swing won't help. It'll probably make you depressed. Um, but there needs to be a practice plan, a game plan, an action plan to correct the problems with your swing and to hit the ball straight and consistently. The second half of Psalm 115 gives us some of those practice plans. And the first part is going to sound ridiculous. It's going to sound really obvious. And it, really, it is obvious. It's one of the most simple and difficult parts of the Christian life. What's the first part of this practice plan, this action plan that God gives us? Trust in the Lord. Look at verses 9 through 11. Trust in the Lord. And these verses serve as a contrast and an invitation. Here's the perspective. Idolatry is empty and hopeless. Don't be jealous of those who practice it. Don't be fooled by idols. But it's also a reminder and invitation for the idols that you've cultivated in your life. Here is a loving invitation to trust in the Lord. Turning from idols, repenting of sin, living by faith, believing God's promises, waiting in trials, resting in His love. It all involves a renewed and fundamental trust in God. Why trust in the Lord? Well, it says it several times. He is their help and their shield. God is the one who can help us. And this isn't like... Daddy's little helper. Oh, that's cute. You can be daddy's little helper. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. God is our strength. God is our help. Jesus said it this way, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's the one that gives us life. And he's also a shield, a very important ancient picture. He's the one who shields us and protects us. And it doesn't mean that we never go through difficulties in our lives. It means that no matter what happens, good or bad, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. God is with us in life and in death, and He'll carry us and flourish us and protect us now and into eternity. Who should trust in the Lord? Everybody. All Israel. All the people of God, everyone, everywhere, young and old, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, no matter your station in life or the color of your skin, the practice plan, the game plan is for all of Israel to trust in the Lord. Part of salvation, part of the practice of us being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ is actively ongoing trust in God. And there are a couple ways that this is expressed. One, 
actively reading and praying and worshiping and singing to God. Keeping the pages of your Bible turning over in your life. Following God, pursuing God, worshiping God. That's one of the ways that we can trust in Him. And another, kind of the other end of the spectrum, if you find yourself caught or trapped in sin or in idolatry, part of trusting in God is having the courage to come to someone that you know and that you love and they know, that you know they love you and love the Lord and telling them, I'm trapped or I'm on the pathway to getting trapped and I need help. That's one of the ways we can trust in God. All of Israel trust in God, but look what it also says. Oh, house of Aaron trust in God. Do you know what kind of job the sons of Aaron had? What did they do? Well, they were the priests. They were the ministers of the gospel in the Old Testament. Did you know that pastors and ministers and church leaders need to be reminded and called and encouraged to trust in the Lord too? It may seem silly, but when you get to helping other people and encouraging people and praying for people, you know what can happen? You can neglect yourself. You can neglect your own soul. And you can get caught up in their health and their growth and their problems and forget about your relationship with God and your responsibility to trust in Him. So people, pastors, leaders, children, we're all called to trust in God. Second part of God's practice plan is seen in verses 12 through 15. Blessed by God. I thought about naming this point hashtag blessed. But I decided not to. Um, blessed by God. It's interesting. In verses 9 through 11, we're called to trust in God. Verses 12 through 15, it simply says that God remembers us and that He will bless us. It's passive. It's something that we receive. God blesses us, but it's still a hugely important part of the practice of the Christian life, of us being shaped into the image of God. It's beautiful and difficult. We need to learn how to accept and receive and enjoy and celebrate the blessing of God. And this is so hard for us to do because we live in an earned society. We're taught early on and in good, for good reason that we need to do our part. We need to uh, carry our load I can manage, I can do it, I got this, I've got it under control. Don't worry, I don't need any help. And part of the practice of the Christian life is remembering that God blesses us. And we can't add to it, we can't jazz it up, we don't make it better. We simply receive the blessing of God, free, unearned, unmerited, grace and love and the shining face of God on His children. Sometimes we don't want to receive God's blessing because we have so much shame and guilt and baggage in our lives. 
Maybe you feel that way. I'm never really going to be loved or lovely to God. You know what? God doesn't think that. Receive and believe His blessing for you. Sometimes we don't want to receive God's blessing because we're so competent and so successful. I've got life under control. I've got it figured out. I'm killing it at work. I'm the MVP of the team. I'm the best in the class. I don't need God's blessing. I've got this. That's not what God thinks. Believe and receive His blessing for you. He will bless us. Pastors and parishioners, young and old, great and small, He will bless those who fear Him. Part of the practice of being shaped into the image of God is us hearing and receiving and accepting and enjoying the blessing of God for us. The last part of the practice is we need to take the field. Have you ever heard the phrase game shape? Being in game shape. You can have preseason camp, you can do fitness at the end of practice, you can but one of the best and most effective ways to be ready to play the game that you love is playing in the games. That's how you get in game shape. That's the challenge and goal of every coach, to have her team peak in fitness and performance at playoff time, right? One of the ways we practice having our lives shaped and transformed by God is by taking the field, by getting in the game, by living by and for and to the Lord. And there are a couple of reminders from Psalm 115 that Christianity is not a spectator sport. We don't have to work out all the kinks. We don't have to be perfect before we enter the field of play. And there are a couple of phrases that remind us that we have work to do, that God's kingdom is advancing. The word is going forth. Folks need to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, in verse 16, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth is given to the children of man. And with that statement... There is generosity and responsibility. We have a responsibility to to utilize our lives for the glory of God. Verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do those who go down in silence. The psalmist isn't a nihilist. The message is simple. Now is the time to blossom and flourish and grow. Now is the time to take the field and to live your life for the glory and honor of God. And with this renewed perspective, our practice now, the rest of our lives, can be that we move out in faith. That we love each other, that we get engaged, that we care for the poor, the sick, the outcasts, the widows, the orphans, the prisoners, the forgotten, the fatherless. One of the great privileges we have is seeking to advance The kingdom of God that's coming. And Jesus isn't simply coming back to take us to heaven. We get to take part in his kingdom work now. And he's preparing us to be with him forever. And one of the best ways we can do that is by praising him and glorifying him now in our lives. So as we close, some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves are these. What perspective have we gained from Psalm 115? 
What practice have we learned from Psalm 115? Where do we go from here? What do we do with what we've learned? Well, like in golf, we need a pro. We need someone who knows what they're doing to help give us perspective and to guide our practice. And this is part of the beauty of Christianity. Jesus Christ is not only our Savior and Lord, He not only laid down His life for our sins, He leads us and guides us and shepherds us along the way. He takes us by the hand and He gives us perspective and He shapes the practice of our lives, getting us ready to be with Him forever. And you may be here this morning and this stuff sounds so weird and foreign to you. Maybe you're trying to go through life on your own, without help. Maybe you're trying to figure it out. That's a scary place to be. Because there's so many questions, and so many options. Psalm 115 serves as an invitation for you to come and humble yourself and have your life defined and marked by the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. And for God's children, Psalm 115 is a simple call to listen and to follow and to lean into Jesus and His leading in our life. He gives us much-needed perspective. He shapes the practice of our lives so we can live for Him now and forever. Let's pray.